Coming up today on the Lockdown Hornets podcast, we give you an update on a potential return for the NBA season in 2019-2020, how that might affect the Charlotte Hornets. We also dive deep into some of our favorite what-ifs in Charlotte Hornets history and this. That's exactly what you're saying. NBA Finals. I'm not <laughs> saying that whatsoever, but I do appreciate you interrupting and making sure that you made that. You are Locked On Hornets, part of the Locked On Podcast Network, your team every day. In a minute, cause we live. We live. <laughs> This is Locked On Hornets presented by Belt Bar. Use promo code Locked On to get $10 off of your first box of Built Bars at BuiltBar.com. If you haven't done it yet, I don't know why you're waiting. You get $10 off, again, your first box ever of Built Bars. If you just go to BuiltBar.com, it's a great deal. We're part of the Locked On Podcast Network. It's your team every single day. Local experts on the number one daily sports podcast network. Subscribe to the podcast on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts and make sure you follow us on Twitter. Uh, follow the show handle on Twitter at locked on Hornets. I'm on Twitter at Walker mail and Doug is on Twitter at Doug Branson. L O H couple of things to get to here today. One, we have the theme going over the course of the next two weeks. We are at the end of the first week. Haven't really dove into it a whole lot, but we are going to talk about the Charlotte Hornet. What ifs feel free to tweet at us if you want to, to, uh, to talk about some of your favorite what ifs in Charlotte Hornets history. Also, we have some news to get to regarding some of the classic games that are going to be shown until we might get some real-time games, Doug. The Hornets actually might play some regular season games in the 2019-2020 season. Now, we don't know for sure, but there were reports earlier this week about some optimism brewing with the NBA possibly coming back, not just even postseason, but maybe even some regular season games What do you make of some of the quote-unquote optimism? I don't know how optimistic I feel, but I'm just telling you that's what they were trying to feed us, the fans of the NBA. Well, I think, yeah, that's that's the key, right? I mean, they are trying to portray optimism when really I think so much of this revolves around those RSNs, those regional sports networks that have deals with the NBA that say, you know, you have to play this many games, And so the NBA is trying to negotiate and figure out how they're going to meet those minimum requirements, because for so many of those RSNs, you know, there, there could be 10 to 15 games that they're still required to play from some of these teams, including the Charlotte Hornets, even though the Hornets are, have no chance of competing in the playoffs. I'm still in the camp that I've been in all along that I don't think they can find a way to make the regular season happen, that this thing is going to have to go into some sort of truncated playoffs with the eight teams in the East and the eight teams in the West that are currently slotted where they are. They're going to have to go out to Las Vegas and uh, Disney and Orlando and create maybe not a bubble, but a campus where there's a lot of testing and a lot of things going on to try to keep the players safe. Because look, you've got everyone in agreement right now that they want to play. You know, the players want to play, the owners want to play, you know, the NBA wants everyone to play, uh, the TV networks want them to play, but then there's also all of this concern around safety. Um, And so they're going to have to figure out how do we do this in a way, not only that players are safe, but that if someone tests positive for coronavirus, what do they do then? I mean, they have to have all of this stuff mapped out and they have to be able to withstand that. So it's a lot of questions still hanging in the air. 
Yeah, I, one of the paragraphs that I took note of from the write-up um, of Adrian Wojnarowski earlier this week, it was May 12th that he dropped this, and he said, quote, discussions centered on health and safety concerns, including the goal of getting team officials and players comfortable with the idea that a positive test for the coronavirus upon a return would not shutter play. And if this were to happen, if a player were to test positive for the coronavirus, then they would attempt at least, in theory, to continue to play games. And man, you just think about how problematic that is. Look, I have no clue exactly how many positive tests for COVID-19 it would take to completely shut down play. But man, you talk about the way that this thing is so contagious. You talk about one guy that tests positive. Man, I think about the kind of road that you would have to go on to figure out, okay, who else was near this guy that could possibly also be infected? And I know that we have to talk about rampant testing, but there's not a whole lot of optimism regarding testing being so abundant extremely soon. You know, there's not optimism right there. And I think that is something that's going to have to happen soon enough for there actually to be some games. There's still a lot of questions up in the air, man, and they can feed me all the optimism that they have. And that's great. I don't want to be this Debbie Downer, but good God. I mean, there's still a lot of really serious issues to map out. Well, because it's not just about a positive test, right? Because we've seen that. We've seen players test positive for coronavirus. Kevin Durant, uh, Rudy Gobert, Donovan Mitchell. What we have yet to see, and I think the danger, uh, both from a human being perspective, but also from a just a cynical optics perspective, is if a player is not only test positive for coronavirus, or not even player, just someone involved, because you got to get more people in these arenas. Um, even though you don't have fans there, you got to have certain personnel in there. What if one of them gets it? And then gets like critically ill, right? Oh yeah. I mean, I mean that's, so that's you know that's what we have yet to see, and to me that's the the bigger danger than someone just testing positive is someone being critically ill, and then you've got play going on while you know Joe Ingles is fighting for his life or something like that's there's just no way that could happen. You'd have to shut everything down again. You decided to go with the name there. I hope to God that doesn't happen. You could. Have been- Decided to go with an individual name up, down, left, right, Joe. I'm hoping for you. Yeah. Uh, interesting. I'm just, no, I'm just speculating. No, I'm not speculating. I'm just hypothesizing. It's nothing to do with Joe Ingles. I hope Joe is fine. <laughs> I do. I, I really hope that Joe Ingles is fine. I hope fine. I didn't just kill Joe Ingles. <laughs> Goodness gracious. Uh, morbid. Yes, I do want to go to some of the other things that were written here by Adrian Wojnarowski to discuss, to discuss a little bit more about testing. He did say once the NBA formalizes a return to play, the league indicated to teams that the plan won't be to standardize coronavirus testing among the 30 teams, sources said. For now, the NBA is allowing teams to use a variety of tests. <laughs> Interesting there because... You know, are you going to have to find some common denominator? Are you going to have to have multiple tests within the framework because maybe one is more accurate for positive tests? Um, maybe one. I, it just there's so many questions to me. And you're right, Doug. Dan Levitard has been over this all week, where he seems to be the one asking the question more frequently than anybody else about what a possible death could mean for these leagues. And he had a conversation with Mina Kimes. Did God forbid? that there is something to that extreme effect that happens because we wanted sports back because sports were brought back to us because they are just losing too much money. Oh, and, and the worst possible thing happens in somebody dying. Does that kill sports for a year, two years? How long do we hold off on all of this? Because a healthy 
athlete, somebody that is, you know, at tip top shape playing in the NBA or certainly a lot more in shape than a lot of us average folk that could be still around the age of 30, he dies. Then what? Then what happens? And I just I just don't know if the NBA is ready for anything that catastrophic. Yes, the odds are against it, right? The information that we do have, it says the odds are against that particular thing happening. Okay, okay. You know, if it does, then what happens? And it's a scary thing to think about when all of these leagues are trying to come back. Uh, yeah, and I think just going just back to this idea of, of having to play out regular season games, it makes no sense for the Charlotte Hornets uh, to play any of their premier players in that kind of scenario. Devontae Graham, P.J. Washington, right. any player that you see as having a future with this organization, uh, it just makes no sense for you to play those players uh, and, and risk injury for nothing. I mean, nothing. And, and so I, I don't understand what that would look like or feel like or be. I just think it all, especially the regular season idea, just feels very odd to me. Oh, I mean, how many games? Look, you talk about if, if there are true haters of tanking, then my God, look away from your television if they bring back regular season games. Because the only benefit to these teams that have so many young players is the fact that you want to build and improve your younger players and maybe build on momentum for next season. You can't do that in five games. What are we going to say that Devonte Graham is going to pick up the streak of really good 10 games and bring it into the next year? Is PJ Washington going to go off for 10 games and that's going to lead into something magical the next season? No, there's just not enough of a sample size. So there's literally, as you mentioned, zero reason to play any of the better players on some of these lottery bound teams and tanking is going to be at an all-time high like there's no reason to win these games none i totally agree with you zero reason uh to win these games to play in these games but i can give you a thousand reasons to eat a built bar mm, yum, 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 yum. Uh, number one that. they're tasty i mean these things are 100 percent chocolate they actually taste good they're a protein bar that tastes good. It doesn't sound like it makes sense, but it makes absolute sense. Bill Bars are tasty. They're good for you. They come in a variety of different flavors. Uh, you've got toffee almond. They're they're coming out with a chocolate cookie dough. I'm I'm actually like super. Oh excited god! About that. <laughs> like a chocolate cookie dough uh, protein bar. Like get out of here. I'm in it. Uh, also, they support the show and they're supporting the Locked On podcast in May. Uh, so if you've Maybe you, you you've played around in the protein bar environment, or you've already you've always been curious about getting a protein bar. Go ahead and get a built bar, man, and you get ten dollars off uh, your first box with the promo code locked on. So that's a bonus. Uh, but another bonus is that these built bars they don't have a ton of sugar in them. Okay, they're actually healthy for you. They're not just trying to trick you into making you think they're healthy for you and then loading you down with sugar. No, these built bars are legit. And you can get a discount on them uh, if you use the promo code locked on. Uh, tell them how they do that, Walker. I'll tell you how they can do it. One thing you can do is go to builtbar.com and use promo code locked on. It doesn't matter. Put a space in between there. If you like it all as one word, that's fine too. Do whatever you want. Just use locked on and you can get $10 off of your first box at www.builtbar.com. $10, free money, baby. Good tasting energy bars, builtbar.com. Use promo code locked on. Oh, it's dark chocolate cookie dough. I forgot the dark part. That makes mm. it even better. And then May 18th, 
coconut pecan pie. <laughs> Booyah. <laughs> there are so many flavors that I'm going to have to rush and you are too. Um, locked on promo code to get $10 off of your order. We'll be back with a couple of more segments discussing the all time. What ifs and Charlotte Hornets history and some ways that you can catch some classic games on Fox sports Southeast. This is locked on Hornets. Final play though was pretty, pretty doo-doo. You missed the shot. You missed the shot, but that was, and that good. It was reminiscent of Hornets inbounds years past. I was going to say, yeah, it was doo-doo, as you said, and it reminded of, what was the other shot that you didn't like, Doug? It's a technical Uh, term, technical basketball term. I'm a smart basketball guy. It's time for more of the Locked on Hornets podcast. Fox Sports Southeast is going to give us some of the Hornets classic games. They announced that it will televise Hornets classic games, a series featuring memorable games from the franchise's history, dating all the way back to 1989, and the series will begin today. It will continue every Friday and Sunday night through the end of May, and they'll be available to stream on the Fox Sports Go app. Doug, tonight, to kick us off here at 8 p.m., they'll tip off with Game 4 of the 1993 first-round series against the Boston Celtics. That's when Zoe hit a game-winning series-clenching shot with four-tenths of a second left. So it is what is still in our bracket as the number one overall seed in our greatest moments uh, of all time. Yeah, do, do some research before you vote in the next round. We haven't forgotten about that bracket, by the way. We're going to be uh, tackling that next week as well. Uh, so we'll have round two yeah, of that, that bracket. <laughs> so do your research. Uh, watch that game. I'm interested in this one uh, on Friday, May 22nd. Um, Hornets versus Golden State Warriors. You've got uh, Del Curry draining a three-point shot to give the Hornets a 99-98 to victory at home. I'm just interested in seeing <laughs> Dave Hoopin in action. <laughs> how, many, how many people do you think we have put on to Dave Hoppin and now they're going to be glued to their television to watch? Not Del Curry hit the game-winning shot. Not one of the best Hornets of all time, but watching Dave Hoppin come in with his well, six-and-a-half-point average and four-and-a-half-point rebound or four-and-a-half rebound average. I need to see, I need to pull up his stats and see if he got minutes in that game because that would have been year two, right? November of 1989 would have been year two. So I'm going to, I'm going to double check while you uh, tell me about what games you want to see. I'm going to see what Dave did in that game. Yeah. The other games, the more recent games that they're going to show, and this is very much so at the end of the month of May, on May 29th, they're going to show this Baron Davis game. He becomes just the fifth player in NBA history to record back-to-back triple doubles. So they're going to show that game that he played against the Orlando Magic when they won 102 to 85, and they advanced to the second round. So pretty cool one there. I know you're a Diddy fan, Doug. So Baron Davis going to be featured as the guy in that one. And then the end of month of uh, the end of the month of May, May 31st at 6 p.m. Uh, they're going to show the game that happened on January 9th, 2001, the Hornets against the Bulls. 18 point third quarter deficit to defeat Chicago 102 to 95. It's the first triple overtime game in franchise history. It took so that long. I mean, that's surprising, right? I mean, 1988 to 2001. I mean, you go into a new century before they uh, hit the triple overtime game. That's that's really surprising. Going back to that 2002 game, fantastic uh, playoffs for the Charlotte Hornets. They fall to the eventual Eastern Conference champions and the New Jersey Nets in that next round. Uh, Baron Davis was fantastic in those playoffs. You could really see the player he was going to become. 
But it's just that's a sad game. That's going to be a sad game, unfortunately, yeah. because it, it happened in 2002, and everyone who attended the playoffs, the few people that attended the playoffs, <laughs> knew that this was it for the Charlotte Hornets, uh, that they were going to New Orleans. By the way, I did look. Dave is featured in that game, but he only pulls down two minutes. Uh, Rambus was sucking up all the minutes in that in that mm-hmm. year, too, and, and Del Curry had 27. He had a fantastic game, so that should be a fun one to watch. Yeah, damn you, Rambus. Why are you taking minutes away? That was from a good – that's a good Golden State team. Uh, you're going to get to see Mullen, Richmond, and Hardaway. So yeah. Yeah. So Run that's going to be fun. Um, I'll allow the transition from that 2002 season that transitioned the Hornets team all the way to New Orleans here to serve as our first what if that we talk about a rather easy one. It might be the first one you think of, Doug, when you think of the biggest what ifs in Charlotte Hornets history. And this is not a a franchise that is void of substantial what ifs, right? I mean, we can go to, I think what I would think of immediately, it's the move to New Orleans, the actual franchise move to New Orleans. I think it would be Alonzo leaving for the Miami Heat, and it would break up the Muggsy Bogues, Larry Johnson, and Alonzo Morning trio. At least on the surface, these are the two or three that I would think of. And really, I think it's it's those two. The other one, I think, um, uh, that would come to mind pretty immediately, Doug, it's if they were able to draft Anthony Davis, if they win the NBA draft lottery after the worst season of all time. Just on the surface, those are the first three that come to my mind. Do you have any different ones? Not that you're interested in, because we're going to explore a lot of other different what-ifs, but if you were to say, okay, the average what-ifs would they immediately come up with, I think it would look a lot like exactly what I just explained. Yeah, I think the franchise moving to New Orleans, but then you have to take a step back, I think, and really and really say if they had beaten the Bucks in that 2001 playoff series yeah. and moved on to the Eastern Conference Finals, is that really the first moment where we go, okay, that could have kept the Charlotte Hornets in Charlotte. It would have cemented their place in, in the hearts of fans and citizens of Charlotte. I mean, the, the, the problem... I'm not going to put it all on the citizens of Charlotte. There were so many different factors in why the Hornets didn't were not able to figure out a deal to put an uptown arena uh, in in place uh, to keep the Charlotte Hornets in Charlotte. Um, but there wasn't a huge sentiment by the taxpayers of Charlotte to do it. And then you had all of these um, legal issues with the owner at the time, George Shin. So his popularity was in the toilet. So nobody was going to be on that guy's side. And uh, the city could not, the city, the city councilors could not find a way to get around the, the taxpayers. And maybe they didn't want to. They didn't want to sort of do an end around, which they ended up doing in 2004 to bring the Bobcats. They went around the taxpayers and did this, uh, took the money from the, the hotel tax. And that got the Uptown Arena that eventually uh, the Bobcats uh, would move into. Uh, so, so many of these weird factors, it's just one of those situations, the, the Hornets moving to New Orleans, where you just couldn't find a way. It wasn't one thing. It's just you could not find a way to bridge the gap between what ownership wanted and what the, the people wanted. And the Panthers, I think, had a lot to do with that, too. The fact that Charlotte w- didn't have just one team. If it was just the Hornets... I think the 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 city would have rallied around and said, "Hey, we got to keep our pro sports franchise." But you had the Panthers, and everybody loved the Panthers, and so they weren't going to be held hostage by George Shen. And Doug, I I look at that, and we think of some pretty big what ifs in Charlotte Hornets history, 
And they're a lot of fun to think of. And really, like I said, they're not void of some some really interesting topics. And yet I kind of go down that alternate path and I don't find a lot of different outcomes, right? Like so significant outcomes. And I want to talk about that coming up in the last segment of Locked on Hornets. But first... Uh, I know you want to tell the people about Blinkist, Doug, and how they can support Blinkist. Blinkist, seriously, since we've uh, since they started to support the show, Blinkist cle- keeps climbing up the rankings of where I have my apps. I don't know if you do this on your phone, Walker, but when I first download an app, it ends up on like page three, and then as I use it more and more, every now and then I'll reevaluate and say, "Hey, I'm actually clicking on this a lot, so I'll move that up to page two. And th- now Blinkist is page one on my iPhone. Uh, because I use this app all the time. It's amazing. You can use it on your phone, your tablet, your web browser. Blinkist essentially takes the best key takeaways, the need-to-know information from thousands of nonfiction books and condenses them down into just 15 minutes that you can either read or you can listen to. I choose to listen to them because I just like popping it in my ears, and then I can read a philosophy book, a business book. I own my own business, so I've been getting a lot of info uh, on on that front and successful people all over the world like business leaders they're all well known for reading lots of books and so blinkist makes it easy for busy people like you and me who want to get those main points of a book quickly and start using that information right away that's what blinkist does and you can use that audio feature like i was saying blinkist makes it easy to finish a book uh wherever you are walking the dog i do a lot of that these days and so just to get out of the house and i throw the blinkist in my ears With Blinkist, you get unlimited access to read or listen to a massive library of condensed nonfiction books, all the books you want, and all for one low price. Right now, for a limited time, Blinkist has a special offer that's just for our audience. You go to Blinkist.com slash NBA, try it for free for seven days, and you can save 25% off of your new subscription. That's Blinkist, spelled B-L-I-N-K-I-S-T, Blinkist.com slash NBA to start your free seven-day trial, and you're going to save 25% off, but only when you sign up at Blinkist.com slash NBA. We dive deeper into Hornets What Ifs next. This is Locked on Hornets. Segway, it's called a radio Segway. Well, and and I'm feeling better, by the way. If you didn't notice, I didn't want you know I'm I'm a little bit of a private person, so I don't talk about my health issues often on the show. Um, But what now I'm healthy, and I think people are going to notice a change in me today. So I just wanted to kind of go ahead and get that out of the way. um, That Doug is unleashed on this show today. So watch out. It's time for more of the Locked On Hornets podcast. Something pretty cool tweeted out in real time by Fox Sports, um, a conversation between Del Curry and Kendall Gill. And uh, just 20 minutes ago, yeah, so this is pretty cool. As of 1236 on Friday as we're recording this just 20 minutes ago, uh, Del Curry and Kendall Gill's conversation include game two against Boston in the 1993 playoffs. And Kendall Gill says about that game two in 93, that was the hardest NBA game I've ever had to play. And Rick Bennell quote tweets it and he says, I totally, uh, totally believe that it was impressive how Hornets didn't get intimidated by the names on the other roster and the setting, of course, with some of those 80s Celtics reaching the twilight of their career and the Hornets would eventually win. You can catch that classic game tonight at 8 p.m. But pretty cool little comment and conversation between Kendall Gill and Bill Curry. Well, and that conversation really fits perfectly with what we've been talking about here on today's show, which is Hornets what ifs, because Kendall and Dell both believe that if they were able to keep that core group together, Kendall 
uh, Curry, uh, LJ, and Zoe together, that they really would have had an opportunity to compete in the Eastern Conference. Uh, and, you know, they went toe-to-toe with the Bulls for two games in 95, and Alonzo was a big part of that. Uh, could they have put together enough talent to compete with them in 96? I don't know, but, you know, there are a lot of what-ifs around around um, that. And Kendall also, I mean, Kendall got disgruntled with the franchise and wanted more, I guess, more money or more years or whatever, and, and eventually they had to ship Kendall out too. And so... You know, I mean, it wasn't just Zoe. It was LJ. It was Kendall. Del Curry, you know, was the Fresh Prince of Bel-Air at one point, just looking around and being like, where'd everybody go? <laughs> so it's, it's funny you bring that up, Doug. I want to talk there a little bit as I kind of teased, saying I don't know if an alternate universe would have succeeded in giving us something, you know, more memorable, right? Yeah. I don't know if that would have been something that would have given us a championship or an Eastern Conference Finals appearance. I, I just don't know. The reason I say that, and a lot of this goes into something you've talked about, it's we wouldn't have had Glenn Rice have you trade Alonzo. I do think Alonzo Mourning is the overall better player. The guy's, I think, a seven-time All-Star. He's a Hall of Famer. He's one of the best defensive players ever. He comes into the league and immediately is averaging 20 points a game. I love Glenn Rice. Um, I think Alonzo Mourning is a better player, but I also don't know if just because, I mean, you get Glenn Rice and he becomes this crazy good shooter. He is extremely good. What's the gap there? And the Hornets were able to flip Glenn Rice into something productive, right? We know about Bob Bass's trade chain and it was always pretty successful. I don't know if holding on to Zoe and holding on to LJ, who, by the way, if you just hold on to Zoe in this specific scenario, LJ's back gives out. He only plays a couple more years with the franchise before they decide to go send him off to the New York Knicks and then get an Anthony Mason, which does that happen with Zoe? I just, I just don't know, Doug. That one's harder for me to relay into an Eastern Conference Finals appearance. What about you? Well, let's talk about what this whole what-if thing means for the Charlotte Hornets. Really, we're talking about probably two things with the what-ifs. What if... The Charlotte Hornets never left for New Orleans. So there are a lot of what-ifs. There are a lot of sort of mini what-ifs that you could talk about in relation to that um, uh, seismic event that happened in Charlotte Hornets history. The second what-if is what any franchise would think of as a what-if. What if something had happened that led to us winning a championship? But really, there's only one what-if that matters in that conversation. If you look at the Toronto Raptors, the Dallas Mavericks, the San Antonio Spurs, when they first won, they did become sort of a dynasty. But those are the three franchises that I think of that kind of came out of nowhere and, and competed with the Celtics, Lakers, Bull, you know, the dynasties that that we've all known for like 30, 40 years in the NBA. And there's one what if, and that's they got a superstar player. They had Dirk, they had Kawhi, they had Tim Duncan. You get these like franchise-changing players. So in my mind, the only what ifs, the only what if that really matters in Charlotte Hornets history is what if they had gotten Dwight Howard and and what if they had gotten Anthony Davis? Um, you know, LJ was a number one pick. They they could have had an opportunity at Shaq. So, you know, really the only what ifs that actually matter to the Hornets winning an NBA title is probably what if they had won one of these lotteries that they were really close <laughs> yeah. to winning. No, it's a great point. And so, Anthony Davis, you look at what would have happened. Let's explore that then further because I actually have somewhat of a sub what if regarding that draft. Anthony Davis is the guy you think of, right? Number one overall pick, pretty clearly separated from every single other prospect there. I mean, he was the guy. Man, even when we look back and we talked about Zion last year, we would go back to say, okay, 
he's clearly above everybody else in the same way that Anthony Davis was above everybody else. And then before that, you had to go all the way back to LeBron James, who was pretty clearly above everybody else, even in a strong draft. So yes, Anthony Davis, first and foremost, a guy that you have to think of what are the biggest what ifs in Charlotte Hornets history. Uh, go ahead, Doug, before I make uh, another point about that specific draft, you wanted to say something. Well, yeah, just on the Anthony Davis front, I, I think you could easily look at that and say, well, New Orleans got Anthony Davis. They didn't win an NBA title. So yes, it's a what if, but it, they the, Charlotte could have easily squandered Anthony Davis. I'll tell you the big <laughs> the big aspect of that what if is that we we might not have the Charlotte Hornets. We might still be the Charlotte Bobcats. There might not have been that movement, you know. It would have been too good. <laughs> well, if they, yeah, I mean, if you're winning, you know, you don't want to mess up a good thing, right? Part of the reason Charlotte gets the name is yes, New Orleans ran away from the Hornets and became the Pelicans, but also it was because Charlotte was kind of in the mud and it was a good way to generate some fan interest. But if you've got Anthony Davis and you've got the Bobcats going to the Eastern Conference Finals, you know, maybe you don't need that that uh, bump. Well, so, so, but l- let me just say this one thing: I've always thought that it's a shame that Steve Clifford never got a really talented superstar on his rosters and still doesn't, even in Orlando, because he's a, he's been an assistant coach for teams that did have that. He understands the magnitude of having a Tracy McGrady in his prime or a Dwight Howard in his prime on your team, what that does. And he knows how to manage those players. He was the guy in, in L.A. that was dealing with Dwight. He was the guy in Houston that was dealing with Tracy. And so, like, he knows how to deal with those players. And he just never had one. And so I really think that that Charlotte could have done things with Anthony Davis that New Orleans couldn't do because of Steve Clifford. The biggest difference to me is Kimba Walker, Doug. You already had a guy that turned into a star. <laughs> well, yeah. <laughs> you, you have two stars. Yeah, I, yeah that's true. You know, one, one is a superstar and one is a legitimate all-star who will probably finish his career with what? Uh, at least a handful. I'm, I'm, I would guess five. But even if not, you have at least three under his belt. And so that's the biggest difference to me. You go at it with Kimba and you go at it with Anthony D- uh, Davis. That is a formidable duo to go contend in the Eastern Conference. That's the biggest one if to me. And therefore, okay, let's just say that they don't get Anthony Davis, right? They don't win the draft lottery. Well, what about Bradley Beal? Look, MKG was not a slam dunk. There was a lot of different names that you could have put out there. It wasn't crazy by any stretch of the imagination that MKG was the second overall pick. People fell in love with his work ethic. They loved his winning nature all the way going back to high school. And then John Calipari kept touting him as one of the leaders, maybe even more so of a leader than Anthony Davis. Anthony Davis was a great player, but MKG was the guy, was the motor of that Kentucky team that won that championship. Okay, fine. But Bradley Beal was very much a part of the conversation. He was. Bradley Beal was very much a part of the conversation. No, I'm not. It, I'm not disputing that. I'm real. I'm kind of. I just. I don't think that Bradley Beal changes the equation all that much. That's where you're going. I'm just gonna. I'm gonna throw some cold water on it immediately. I think Bradley Beal maybe turns this team into a okay. They're gonna make the playoffs, but I, I think we're back in the same situation that the Hornets have always been in. That they can't get to the Eastern Conference Finals. It does. It probably wins them a playoff series, which is something you can't say for the current iteration. But I don't think that it turns them into any kind of threat. So I'm not saying that it turns them into a threat. That's exactly what you're saying. NBA Finals. <laughs> I'm not saying that whatsoever. But I do appreciate you interrupting and making sure that you made that point. No, I'm, I'm with you. It doesn't make them that good. What happens though is. We don't have the Hornets as we do now. We don't have PJ Washington, Devontae Graham, Miles Bridges. This is still a team that signs Kimba. This is a team that keeps Bradley Beal and Kimba Walker together as much as they possibly can. 
And so, so you a have a, a, la, a la Washington, right? I mean, that's, the, the that's wizard, exactly right. right. And so you look at John Wall and Bradley Beal being a backcourt that goes at it and wins some playoff series and Washington pretty competitive Ooh, in some of those. Does Kim, does Kimba Walker get fat like John Wall? <laughs> Do we have? <laughs> yes. Bradley Kim Beal Berger, drives Kim Berger Walker. So that's the point that I wanted to make was that if you draft Bradley Beal, who again was very much a part of the equation, then you don't have the Hornets team as it looks right now. You have another legitimate all-star, not superstar, but a legitimate all-star where you have multiple guys. That's no small feat for a team to have two legitimate all-stars. You are contending for some nice things in the postseason in the Eastern conference. It doesn't mean that they're getting to the Eastern conference finals, but it's with Cody Zeller, like what other, what other, team members are you putting around him? Does that attract free agents? I think that was worth exploring. Anthony Davis is always the guy, but, but I think there is something worth. I know. I I like that one too. Can I give you one more big, what if? Yes, please. It's the entire 1998, 99 season. So this is right after uh, we're going to finish the last dance. Jordan's out of the league. The, the bulls are, are out as a dynasty. You have the lockout shortening the season, expanding NBA players' waistlines. Everybody comes back out of shape. The Eastern Conference is wide open. It's really anybody's game at this point. And the Charlotte Hornets are coming fresh off of two straight 50-win seasons. It looks like they could possibly be in the driver's seat with Miami uh, for that number one seat in the Eastern Conference and and Indiana, I think, too. Um, You have Glenn Rice. You have Anthony Mason. But then four days before the season, they're practicing, they're getting ready, and Anthony Mason uh, suffers a season-ending injury. And then Glenn Rice has elbow issues. He's demanding a trade. He wants out. He's disgruntled. The team starts 4-11. and Dave Cowens wants out. He quits on the team. Paul Silas takes over. Yeah. They trade Glenn Rice. They get back Eddie Jones and Eldon Campbell, and they end up going, I believe, like 23-11 and to finish that lockout-shortened season. They finish one game behind New York for the eighth seed. Uh, guess who gets to the Eastern Conference Finals and wins yeah. the Eastern Conference Finals? The eighth-seeded New York Knicks. That's how wide open that Eastern Conference was. So the big what-if is what if Mason – uh, there's a couple of what ifs. What if Mason is healthy, and they? Th- th- I think that makes Glenn Rice less disgruntled. He sees a possibility. They play better. The uh, if the franchise is not stupid and gives Dave Cowens the money he wants and says, "Hey, we've got a shot here. Let's go for it." I think they could have gotten to the NBA Finals. That's the other one. Anthony Davis and that '98 '99 season to me are the two what ifs that lead the Hornets to a finals. Now I think the Hornets, could they have beaten San Antonio in that finals? I don't know, but they would have been at the dance. That's just a crazy season to bring up in general. You're so right to just bring up everything a part of that season. Like, I'm not even sure I'm interested in the what ifs. I'm just interested in a 30 for 30, our little version here in Charlotte, a 30 for 30 of that season with all the big changes that they had. By the way, Mason plays one more year in Charlotte. He comes back after that injury. The, the season's not all that great. They they trade Mason away in the next season, 
and because they had Eddie Jones, but then Eddie Jones leaves, but they trade Mason away. He goes and has an all-star season after leaving Charlotte. Does. Yeah. I think it was at his only all-star appearance yeah. in his career. I think it might've been, I know he had an all NBA selection with us, but I do think it was his only all-star appearance with the Miami heat. Okay. Let's go down the what ifs real quickly. Just rapid fire. Just put them out there. We don't have to put our thoughts on them, but I know we're going to be focusing on this for two shows. We're going to have Rick for some of that, uh, for some of those shows on Monday, um, we're going to have them next week. So let's go through these. Okay. Uh, they beat the bucks in the Oh one playoffs. I feel like we've talked about that quite a bit. It's still a very good one. I like that one a lot. Cause that leads to a finals appearance that leads to a dance, right? Where they could play the Philadelphia. 76ers. Well, you've got it. So you've got that team beating AIs. Oh, one. Oh, the bucks almost did Doug. I mean, uh, the bucks were very close to beating the Philadelphia 76ers. Yeah, they were well, yeah. I mean the, that, that Oh, one team, was a defensive minded team. It was a team that was far better on defense. So could they have game plan? Could Silas and company have game planned against AI, but po quite possibly. Well, I think it would, I think that game went to seven games. If I'm not mistaken, I think it was bucks and 76ers and went to a seven game series. And I was listening to, I think it was a bill Simmons podcast. And he was like, yeah, I just felt like the better team lost that series. I felt like the Milwaukee bucks, uh, they, that that was the better team and they lost that. So I think that is another, what if that could possibly have gotten them to the NBA finals only to then get destroyed by the Lakers for sure. The other one, LJ's back holding up. I don't, that doesn't make anything different to me. Like it doesn't give you Anthony Mason. Um, but it, it doesn't lead you too much, uh, too, too many more awards or significance in my opinion. Uh, and then when we go to some future what ifs, I thought this might be interesting. Would you want to save this for next week or did you want to kind of run down some of the future what ifs that I think are interesting and we could look back in hindsight and think, oh man, you know, this is something that could have changed the direction of the franchise. Oh, these recent what ifs or future yeah, what ifs? The recent what ifs, or the recent or future, right? Like, I guess, yeah, yeah. Like when we come back, when we do a show in 2025, what kind of what ifs are we mentioning? Some of these are some of the ones that I think we could have brought up. No, I like these. And I think, yeah, we could do we could do a show on sort of the recent what ifs, keeping Kimba okay. Walker. You have drafting Donovan Mitchell and then not trading Shea Gilgis Alexander. Is that a I get that. Is that a future what if where is SGA going to project out far greater than Miles Bridges? I think right now the answer is probably. All right, that wraps up this edition of Locked On Hornets. Thanks again to Built Bar for supporting the show. Now tell your smart device to play the most recent episode of Locked On NBA, Chad Ford's Big Board, and Hollinger and Duncan. I love the stuff we're doing on the Locked On Podcast Network. I'm excited for these what-if shows all across the network. Make sure you're tuning in. Also, have a great weekend, and we'll see you back on Monday.